He goes, there's 750 Samba girls, 250 Samba guys. That's 1,500 tits. I can't believe how many tits there are. Gee, I, I can't remember any of those Warner people since I worked for Van Halen for 17 years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. So then are you excited about Wolfgang going out? And then he named his band, um, Let's put Amoth, this way. which is so good. not chasing my daughter around the kitchen table anymore. So that's OK. At least he's busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that um, it's Mammoth featuring Wolfgang Van Halen and they're opening for Guns N' Roses, which means which means there is a chance that that opening act could be doing two, three, four hours waiting for Axel to show up. No, no, no. You've been He's to a Guns N' Roses show lately? Yeah, he Dude, shows up. spot on time every single night. I mean, oh, you know, Dale told me, I, I, went, in, I went in to see, see him here, right. and mm -hmm. I got there late, and I went in the office, I said, they're already on. He said, every night they're on, like right on time now. Every yeah. night. And they wow. play close to four hours. It's because Slash is back in the band. He's very punctual. <laughs> Slash is back in the band? Oh, no. Yeah, for Bri a few years now. <laughs> what's that Brazilian woman's name? I forget. Bri uh, Beta. 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 Yeah, yeah Beta. She's a lovely Beta. lady. Beta cracks the whip, you know? She cracks the whip. She's a kick ass lady. And I think her son works for the band, too. Yeah, ask her, you can, yeah, according to her son, he invented rock and roll, so it's good. <laughs> All right, let me introduce you guys properly. I don't know if we need it. I think everybody in the roadie world is going to know one of you or the other, but anyway. Bob Dates was born the same day as Michael Jackson. He tells me he was the first American baby born on the, in Guam in the 20th century. He worked 18 years for Sammy Hagar and Van Halen. He was the first tour manager for Poison. He tour managed Green Jelly, and I'd love to hear some stories about Maynard and the Tool Guys back then. Uh, he was the road manager for Ike and Tina Turner Review in 1969. Did you know that, Bobby? I did. Not neat. Uh, he was the production. I was manager. ten then. You're ten. Uh, I was. I was twelve. <laughs> you know, I think in that year, I because my mom was in. Uh, they're English. My parents were English, and my mom sold shoes. To Tina Turner, and I think it was around that time. Oh my God! Can you how many shoes she probably had? But anyway, uh, he was a production manager for the Outlaws. He's worked for the Rolling Stones, and now he owns a limousine company. And what limo driver doesn't have great stories? Bobby, I'm going to do yours a little unconventional for me. What I've done is I've been splitting everybody up, and I've been just reading off stuff and giving them a quick narration. What you sent me, I really liked, and I'm going to read it off verbatim. Because so the back then is I, I bugged Bobby for like two weeks to send me a, a bio and he and he sent me something I thought was really nice, man. So I'm going to read the way you wrote it. Bobby Schneider is my second guest. He wrote me this nice bio. Hi, Joel. I decided to be a roadie once I found out what one was. I was at a mountain concert in New York City. I was 13 years old and I saw a guy go on stage and hand Leslie West a guitar. The light bulbs went off in my head and I asked the guy who, who that guy was. And he sarcastically said to me, well, that's a roadie, son. I love this story and the way you wrote it. I started at 15 being a gopher. And here I sit 46 years later, two wives and one kid in tow. 
I started with Boston Club bands, then Rush, Jay Giles Band, David Bowie, Ricky Lee Jones, Judas Priest, Metallica, Third Eye Blind, Jay-Z, Rihanna, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West, Beyonce, and maybe a few in between. I am, by trade, a production manager, and I still love what I do. I'll speak to you tomorrow. I loved it. And I don't know why, but I think it's such... There's a lot in there, man. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you took so long to send me your bio. But, you know, to jump back a few a few years, you're at that mountain show. And um, what was the allure? Was it that, that he, he was he was handing the guy that the tool of the trade that the guy needed? Well, or? No. Well, I mean, that I mean, I, I wanted to play guitar. So I think I had a guitar and then I had to go take lessons. And I remember learning a couple of folk chords. I had this <laughs> shitty, like, classical guitar. And, you still have and the guitar? Said, yeah, and I said to the teacher, you know, I just... Everyone says yes. I want to play what's in my head. I want to, like, play, like, Jimi Hendrix. That was my favorite. Sure. And, 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 and she looked at me. She said, that's going to take a while. And I'm <laughs> like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And the guitar sat. I think I even had an electric guitar, but seeing someone that went on the stage that was obviously an integral part of the show or something to do with the show. Um, and I knew that I couldn't play guitar and I thought to myself, I can definitely do that. So what and was I your didn't first really game? know what that was. And, you know, when I left out of the story is I went home to my, you know, New York handbag buying Jewish mother yeah. Who's, you know, checking my eyes to see, I just told someone else this story, to check, <laughs> first to check my eyes to see if I was smoking pot. And I had been, but I used Visine. My mom, rest in peace. And she said, well, how was the show? And I said, well, the show was okay, but I have found my, my calling. I'm not sure I even knew that word then. I said, I know what I want to do when I grow up. And she said, what? I said, I'm going to be a roadie. And she was horrified. <laughs> what is a roadie are you going to go told her that leslie west was jewish too and then she well, was that leslie west was leslie weinstein yeah and my guess is bobby schneider went to see him at the beehive in flushing no the uh was he, theater, was, it was, was it, it the felt forum oh, i was oh so it was mountain it wasn't the vagrants back in yeah the it was mountain okay. and and as it turned out someone later she was a handbag buyer Gary Kerfurst, if you remember Gary Kerfurst, oh my rest God. in peace. Oh my God. She did business with Gary Kerfurst's uh, father in the in the Shmata. That's what. Oh my God. That's uh, be a little Jewish. That's the you know handbag garment industry. They everything's called. I don't even know what does Shmata mean in Yiddish. Bob. Rag? Shmata is Shmata means rag. Okay. Yeah. So they're all rag. in the rag business. They anyway, and he tried to introduce me to Gary. When I was real, I mean, I had just started getting interested and I had, I can't find it anymore. I had this program from the Singer Bowl, um, which was <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, uh, Mountain, anyway, and Kerr first managed Mountain for a while. So it all Absolutely. comes around. Absolutely. Gary Kerr first managed Mountain and then be, then got partners with Ron Delsner for a minute. And then, uh, you know, he, you got to understand, Joel. Yeah, that, that a lot of the people we know have moved on. They passed on, and they're we yeah. just managed to live. I mean, we're you know, knock on wood. 
to be on this podcast. Is that why you guys are still doing that? To survive. We're not <laughs> a statistic. Bobby and I are not. I, no, Joel, someday I hope that it's not just you looking for who's left and who's alive. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope so too. I was, you know, I've told a few people. So it was interesting. I don't know why I started this really. And then I've been working my butt off, but it's like chronicling, I think. You know, a lot of these roadies, they're not going to write their books, they're not going to do their stories. And, and we're gypsies. And gypsies need to tell stories. That's how they survive. It's all they got in the last few and, years. And I might add, Hungarians. Oh, there you go. Thank you. And, and, I, and I am that... part Hungarian. Lithuania, I am. I'm as as Mr. Dates may be. And do you know that Bob Dates, for years at uh, Torlink, the now defunct Torlink, which I hope that gathering comes back in some fashion, Mm-hmm. Live production summit, if I can call that out, was good this year. Right, sure. Although remote, they did a really good job. They did. Shout out to shout out to those guys and Chris Musgraves. But um, we uh, Bob had invented this uh, panel, which was always the last panel of the last day called "You Can't Make This Shit Up." And I mean, there was never a better time in a room because people were, I mean, Bill, people were yeah. relentless. It was, I, I don't know, they, some of those had to have been recorded. Well, no, they. I did specifically sort of, I use the word carefully because maybe they were lying, but we prohibited recording so people could speak more freely. Huh. And, and, and that way, if I was going to tell you a story, I didn't have to make, use initials or use a, a, a reference or a metaphor. And we could tell stories about people who weren't there we could tell stories about people who were there for fear of reproach, for fear of, of repercussions or, or reprisals. <laughs> and yeah. that's how that worked. I mean, I, you know, I, and this is not a plug, but I run a limousine company. I have 675 musical touring groups that use us, touch wood, very lucky. Wow. If I started telling stories about them and broke my confidentiality promise, uh, the, you know, the last two words in my vocabulary would be job opening. You know, I so couldn't I tell. Speaking I couldn't I tell a question. So, starting the uh, the limousine company is that because of the green jelly song about the uh, three little pigs? Is did you mimic it? I thought limo. <laughs> I want I that one. I want that limo. <laughs> well, listen, I'll tell you about. It's funny you say that because yeah. that was a great. Uh, that was a great opportunity for that band to be viewed worldwide. At one point, that video was number one in 21 countries around the world. Well, I watched it today for the first time in, in what, you know, decade or whatever it is. And well, you see, it's now so, you saw, so good. It was such you a You saw the claymation. Video. You saw the claymation. But when yeah. they did that, when they did it live on television around the world, they had people calling the studio, the managers, uh, the you name it to come in and be a puppet holder because there were three puppets that were in the live performance, not the video. And yeah. each puppet was one of the little pigs. So we had people like Kylie Minogue. We had um, uh, Simon LeBon from, from Duran. We had, we, it was just, it was lunacy about who wanted to come into a studio and play and play a puppet on stage with Green Jelly. And then. So who were the, the puppets man- in the end? so lots most of the time was me and two other people but it was but but they would they would hold the puppet and shoot the puppet and it would be 
you know, Kylie Minogue dancing around the stage at Top of the Pops in, in Amsterdam. And, and, and it was just crazy who wanted to be associated with this band because of how brilliant their claymation and, 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 and time and in, incredible their timing was. I but remember they, it coming all vividly. I, I, well, it was fun. You know, it was fun and, and, they, and they were good. They were good. On a good day, as Bill Manspeaker, who still has this band to this day, yeah, says it was the shittiest band in rock and roll, but we had the most fun. Yeah, I saw like you I know? pulled up a couple of videos. You know, these big heads, <laughs> big heads. It was guar. It was guar. It was it was guar. It was it was uh, what do you used to call it? It was uh, uh, bubblegum guar. So what were you the know. tool guys like back then? I mean, they, they, uh, did you know they were, I mean, they were going to go on to, to be tool. I mean, this massive, massive band. No, no, there was no, in, it, there was no idea that these, that Maynard was going to go on and be Maynard. And there, that, and because it was all the same record label. Yeah. It was, they were all signed to zoo entertainment. Right. And there, the, the, I don't think they knew no, I don't think they really had any idea what was going to happen after that. They were just, they were, this band, Green Jelly blew up so fast and they were so busy. They didn't have time to think about the next year or the next project. There was stuff going on and everybody had a lot of free time because there, there just because there was, but it was, no, it was not, it, there was no, it, there was no idea of what, of what was going to evolve from Green Jelly. Yeah. But we didn't. You know, and then, then, you know, then, then Maynard is, you know, then Maynard went on to become Maynard and the rest is obviously his history. And, and Matt, Bill Manspeaker stayed and he's got, he's got little green jelly bands, pockets of the band regionally around the country. So he tours by himself and his wife and, and has regional pickup bands wherever he works. It's Good very for him. Cool. I love it. Yeah. So, I watched like maybe a week ago. It was a compilation of, People jumping on the stage and the rock star kicking the shit out of them. <laughs> and Maynard, oh, is, he's, he's like an MMA specialist, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And so this, this punter jumps up on the stage and he doesn't just <laughs> kick him off. Like most of them, they just give the guy a good kick and he goes off. No, no, no. Maynard just beat the shit out of him for like 15, 20 minutes. Just, just put him in submission and he kept singing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You can't really jab with your left foot unless you're an MMA specialist. And it was just, it was, it was a cool, it was a cool world. It was a very yeah. cool world. And I, and I was the guy, um, <clears throat> I had similar situations with poison and with, with, with green jelly, then into poison that nobody wanted to tour. And Bobby knows this, there, there are a lot of artists who may be famous, but don't want to work. And there's no real logic why people don't want to work. But if the right person sits in the driver's seat, the band takes on a whole new enthusiasm and likes to work. I was very lucky to get Green Jelly ready to work and work all over the world. And they and they and they ran to get inside the buildings instead of, you know, bored. And you shit worked for and... Poison too, Bobby? No, no, no. But but. No, he didn't. Uh, I did Poison. It was the only, it was the one band he hasn't worked for. I worked for Poison. I worked for Mark Hogue, if you guys know Mark, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Of course. Poison uh, was great. uh, Poison was, uh, Poison was, holy crow. Their first tour, you're looking at, uh, what year is that? 1985. Uh, Because I remember, that was, look what the cat dragged in. Yeah. And they were, and it was just blowing up. 
And I had an obligation, which my wife to this day still says she fought me tooth and nail to not to not to not honor. But I had an obligation in 1986 to go back on tour with Tina Turner. And uh, it's just something about <clears throat> something about royalty that just keeps you keeps you attached. And, you know, there was there was no saying no to the Duchess. You know, she's first oh, staying with first doing poison. I did versus doing poison. Scotty Ross, I put Scotty Ross in, in my place and he had went 43 consecutive months. <laughs> That's how long that album ran. 43 months at full tour salary. No break, no retainer, no stop. Wow. They, did, they had a good, they had a good like three, three and a half years of holy shit. Look what the cat. When I started, they had. When I started, they had 210,000 records sold. When I left, they were 1.6 million and blowing up. Wow. And that's all U.S., right? They didn't do any dates outside the country. Not when I was there. Not when I was there. And, uh, you know, headline small clubs and then open for Rat and then open uh, then a quick little opener for, uh, you know, this guy or that guy. And you could you could tell something was happening. Yeah, you could tell something was going on. Was CC, was CC off the rails back then? When I toured with him, he was a good boy. Rails? No, all he did was rails. Yeah, uh, I've heard a lot of the stories, but yeah, when we toured, he was really chill. And uh, you know, I tell people oh, no. he's amazing because his knowledge his knowledge of music is insane. He, he's an encyclopedia, and his music. memory. He's sharp. You know, you know a comedian named Craig Gass. I do not. Craig Gass is a great twenty first century comic. Okay. And uh, and comedian, but he's also a phenomenal ventriloquist uh, uh, impersonator. Oh, he does CC. <laughs> he does the world's greatest Sam Kinison. Oh, I love Sam Kinison. CC's best friend was Sam Kinison. Yeah, he's in that music or Matt. He's in one of his music videos. Right. So. Oh, Sam Kinison stories. Those were great. Oh boy. So so one day with Scotty Ross. And Craig Gass and 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 me and I and I don't know whether it's I or me, but this guy here called Cece and uh, he answered the phone and Sam had already passed, so Craig started in on him and it really only lasted about five minutes because we all got really afraid that Cece was going to go over the rail somewhere in the Hollywood Hills. He was going to go over the railing, so we had to like stop it. But it was. It was pretty wild. Funny, just, he always yeah. drove this like little shitty Japanese car, remember? And he had this really nice Corvette that he never, ever, ever drove. <laughs> Sam, 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 or, Sam or Cece? Cece. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. That, that, so we're sitting there. I was working in the recording studio for uh, Richie Zito. And Richie, uh, or so we're sitting there watching this TV show and, and Cece He's eating bagel after bagel after bagel. And I'm looking like, how many fucking bagels can one person consume? And he went through like six, eight bagels. And uh, so I asked him, like, you want another bagel? He's like, I grew up, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. <laughs> what, is, what does that have to do with your stomach, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I really like bagels. I really like them. Right. Yeah. In my know. neighborhood, you yeah, had to eat until it hurts. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's a lot, man. I don't know. I, I really... Uh, you know, in my book, a lot most of the questions people always ask me. So, do you still talk to CC? Because I hold them in a really a strong place. I, I, as a human being, I, I really liked everything about that guy. I like a little bit of crazy. He's a lot. 
But no, they, uh, that, great guy. Uh, talk about party like a rock star. Oh. Um, you know, that's that's the band that <clears throat> if somebody was getting laid, they would drop a song from the set, no matter where the venue was, no matter how size, how what size venue, they would drop a song so the guy could finish. <laughs> hey, hurry up! We gotta go on. No, 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 no. This is before Viagra. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're starting late. We'll be there in a minute. You know that was it. And Viagra. Oh, Jesus Christ! I mean, there's. I mean, it's just. It was just. Uh, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, I remember the days when I was a concert promoter back in the seventies, um, when the women would line up in the hallways in the hotels to spend a minute with Tom Jones because of his uh, Frazier-like capacity. Frazier the Lion, if you know who the Frazier, for, for those of you who don't know. But they would line up in the hallway. They'd sit and talk to each other like a coffee clutch and just wait till the door opened. Boom. Tom in, Tom out. You know and what's amazing is he still got it, dude. He's he still sure does. cool. Sure does. God bless him. God bless his heart. Like I said, Frazier the Lion. Um, but... Same thing with that band. Holy shit. It was just, it was, it was so incredible. You almost had to call home and tell your wife about it. Yeah. So you're with, uh, you're with Jay Giles band, Bobby, like in the early days or. Uh, no, just, uh, well, I was around the early days um, with one band or another. So um, I, you know, I knew them, but uh, no, it wasn't until the tail end of freeze frame when they had, you know, had that big year and, and, um, uh, they, re, you know, we revisited and they hired me and then I was, what he's trying to say nicely, Bob, I think is like, no, to afford me, it was their high days. Nobody was little get me. Get me. They best, the best live band ever, but no, they hired me and then they put, then they put me on retainer. And we were going to go in the studio and they were going to do their follow to freeze frame. And then they broke up. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, and what about wow. Rush? Rush, you know, oh, fantastic. Guys, I got my 40 year anniversary Rush wristwatch. Nice. Right. So I'm I what wristwatch? It's Rush. the 40 year 40th anniversary. The the uh, the one they gave out a couple years ago. And uh I had Martin Popov on here. I don't know if you guys would know him. He's a journalist, really big, very important. And he just Canadian? came out with uh, Martin Popov. He's a, a Canadian. And, Canadian, right, right, right. And he just came out with three books on Rush. And so uh, they were a trio. Yeah, it's true. I didn't think about that. I should have brought that up when I talked to him, but I wasn't that astute. I need you, Bob. I need you. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully not for long. Hopefully not for long. Oh no! I, I unfortunately I don't plan to have a day off for about two and a half years. Yeah. Oh, Start. It's starting to look that way. No, oh, yeah. Rush, I'm, sitting, Rush, I'm great, sitting in my office. Such a, a rush. Band. Oh my god. I mean, treated that, you know, treated I, when I was better than anyone I've ever I've ever seen. Uh, what yeah, about? Oh, uh, no. Absolutely. I haven't talked they to bought, anybody. Sorry. Didn't they buy it? their crew? Didn't they buy their crew their own bus? Well, their backline crew were treated like very well. Yeah, there were six guys in the band: the three guys on stage and the three guys yeah. off yeah. stage. Hey, hey man, you know what? 
they had all come up with them. They recognized that. They treated them like family. I mean, you know, I, I, what the fuck? What was it hard to treat someone like a human for, really? I mean, you know, I, I, I got to say that I, you know, for all these, uh, and I don't really give a shit who's listening to this. Uh, and I kind of hope I offend someone. Because for all the mega stars that we've worked for, you know, most of us get treated like, you know, fucking yesterday's garbage. I mean, you know, maybe they appreciate you when when they're when you're there. But really, you know, um, how soon they forget. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. I mean, if this I got records on the wall, too. I'm just saying, you know, that's, you know, uh. I mean, look, some, you know, I, I'd say, Bob, you've been really blessed with, with, with some longtime clients at, later, but also artists that, you know, have had, you know, an interest. And, you know, I mean, 17 years with Van Halen, it, it creates, there are people that gave a shit. But most they of gave them. a shit. Yeah. And, and I think you, um, listen, part of the reason, we have a, we have more than one page on our resume was the quest and the search for that one good for that one good band and one it wasn't i don't think we're i don't think that we're, we're i don't think any of us by nature are journeymen per se but what makes uh <clears throat> what makes a what makes the the culture we grew up in doing what we do what makes the guys who survived who are still here special is their ability to be a journeyman and to be able to work for a different client the day after they leave a band and make that new client feel like an old friend and feel comfortable and know that that guy they met two hours ago has their back. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. What it is is that you worked for Ike and Tina Turner in 1969 so you kind of come in the room with a couple, uh, you know, a couple guns blazing. I, I've done this before. You know, this is a rodeo I've been to, yeah. boys. So yeah. you, you didn't need a you didn't you didn't have to fill out a form to get a gun back then. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking no, of no, Ike no, Turner, no. <laughs> no. Of, no, so you didn't. got any Ike Turner stories? I mean, he was he as brilliant a musician as I would like to think he was. He no, he's very astute. He was very astute, and he always you could you could. With Ike, you could always tell when he was thinking. Um, it's like the, you can always tell when a lie, when a when a when a when a lawyer is lying, they're talking, right? Um, I, when Ike, when Ike wasn't talking and wasn't bossing somebody around, he was thinking about what to do next. And um, you know, he he'd keep an eye on people. He the, he was the consummate band leader. Unfortunately, he also got a little bit bossy. Yeah. And excessive and proprietary. But it was it was pretty amazing. Um, at, you know how, you know, he'll, he'll walk, he walk he would walk into a room and tell somebody about something they did two days ago that he saw them doing that he wanted to correct and fix. But but no, the, back in those days and I was I mean, I was only 18 and I didn't get that close to the eye of the uh, to the eye of the storm. Um, yeah. Yet. Um, I I mean, I. I was young enough that that I didn't quite knew know how how to how to spot spousal abuse and all those other things, which uh, you know obviously he was he was notorious for him. Um, yeah. But, but Tina, 
you know, I'd see Tina with puffy eyes once in a while, but nothing big. And, and she, and, but she was, you know, she, she kept, she knew how, she knew when to walk away. Unfortunately, she also liked to stand and fight. <laughs> and yeah. I can tell you later on in life that I experienced a quick right hook every once in a while and she could throw a punch, you know, was she um, you? just fooling around. Yeah. Nobody, no, she didn't. Do, no. Tina she went, stood like a boxer. She's like one of the guys. She, you, you don't, you just don't want to, oh, shit, boom. And, you know, that quick right would take your breath away. But um, she was pretty special. She was pretty special. And Ike, you know, Ike was, Ike was special, but he, you know, he, I don't think he lasted. Yeah. You know, he, he, he wasn't meant to last. Yeah. And, she, and she's a survivor. So it was good. I mean, that was, I was only 18 and I don't think I really, I don't think they wanted to expose me to to a lot of the things that I was. I was an assistant. And I never really got to to get that close to the, you know, to 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 the fire. <laughs> what was your second gig? Wow. Um, eighteen, nineteen. I think from at eighteen and then nineteen twenty, I did a little bit of college and and then ended up uh, getting drafted. Uh, and unfortunately. Because I speak French, I was and and I was destined for French Indochina. Um, I was number thirty-two in the draft lottery, oh. and uh, yeah, oh, I was going. Then I got yeah. drafted, and I was living in Washington D.C. I went to a doctor who just happened to be the allergy director for the universe, for George Washington University Medical School. She said, "Do you ever get? Do you have any allergies?" And I I expl- I told her about an old an old situation when I was a baby. She gave me a skin test and I turned out to be allergic to bees and wasps, which unfortunately um, they had a lot of in Vietnam. And, uh, and I, I went in there to complain about headaches and walked out 4F. Oh. So, uh, so I had two years of college and doing some other stuff. And then I went back and I was, then I was up in Syracuse, New York, and I got involved with Orleans Okay. Great band. Yeah. Um, and, and was playing, I was actually performing with a partner. Now looking at me now as short little Jewish guy <laughs> playing with a guy who had big red hair and a big nose, but played a 12 string guitar. We looked like the opposite version of Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> and we did clubs. We did, we did 43 holiday ends in one year. And uh, went back and did it again. And then uh, I, you know, played. Then I got, I got more involved with Orleans and toured a little bit with them. And then got involved with Cedric Kushner, who was a concert promoter, became a, a promoter rep because I, I could work better than I could play. There were musicians who were much more practiced and better at what they did. And I could talk a blue streak. So I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that but that was my then I became a concert promoter. And uh let's see, had I met my wife yet? No, I didn't. And a blow dealer. And um um and that lasted for a while. And uh, you know, we had a we had I had quite a little uh, quite a little business going in upstate New York for a long time, uh with concerts promoting I was a, I, I, I did catering, security, keyboards, 
spotlight rentals, you name it. We promoted concerts all over the all world. All that blow, he never went to sleep. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I did it Let all. Me Let me tell you something. It made a career. <laughs> it made a career. And then, you know, and then eventually it got old and uh, I gave it up. But I had some, uh, we had some good times and it was sort of nice to be the only game in town where, where I was in secondary markets. And we yeah. kept we, we, I made a lot of friends and made a lot of lifelong friends and, and there and a lot of people who still owe me money. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the drug um, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a family friend and he was the jeweler for Tupac and a lot of these rapper guys. And, uh, was it, Fre- he was it Freddie Sessler? No, it was Brian. Uh, oh, the guy from Philly. He's English. No, he was an English guy. He passed away. He passed away too. But you know, with Tupac, they like buried him with all the gold chains and stuff. He hadn't paid for any of them. And this guy got left holding the bag. Uh, Bobby, did you ever know Freddie Sessler? I'd be digging him up. Yeah, well, might be a lot of gold, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully nobody digs him up. We'll be like, we'll be stuck. (laughs) Those two should have given it away. Did I ever hear a who, Bob? Did did you know Freddie Sessler? The guy that was Keith Keith Richards' friend? The jeweler? yeah. I mean, I didn't know him, but I heard all the yeah. stories. Legendary. Yeah. There are a lot of jewelers. Pharmaceutical in the Rock. cocaine. Bam. Unbelievable. Bam. I mean, there are stories about it. I mean, the good news is they're all passed on. But the kids, the story of, from the kids is they, they were at their house in Hollywood one time. And they're sitting up at the top of the steps in their house. This is the, the stones or? This is this no. This is this is Freddie Sessler. The doorbell rang. Okay, and they were they were told to stay upstairs. And Elizabeth Taylor came in, and 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 uh, and he traded a blowjob for an ounce of blow with Elizabeth Taylor. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, how's that for an Academy Award performance? That's a true oh, bar bump there. Wow, he was a drummer. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I have no stories that good. Oh, that's, I mean, that's with Metallica. <laughs> well, oh, we had, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I was there when, uh, James bought it in the swimming pool and, uh, and did play guitar, uh, for a while. Wow. Uh, for about, uh, two weeks, banged mm-hmm. his arm up. Oh yeah. Um, Didn't he have a cast on it? Oh yeah. Sang with the cast, the roadie, John Marshall who was then in metal church, played guitar. I was actually just on a, a thing with him uh, about Cliff Burton, rest in peace. Uh, yeah, I mean, Metallica, I, I witnessed that, that whole thing start. They had already had some legs in Europe, but they hadn't really hit it here. And so I worked with them on the tail end of the second album of Ride the Lightning. Oh, great. And then album. they went off and then they went off and, re- and I had never worked for a metal band. So, I mean, I had worked for Boston blues bands. I mean, funk bands. Um, I had worked um, uh, by Bowie. I'd worked big country. I mean, you know, music, you know, music that I listened to mostly, right? And um, and then uh, I I did, a, I worked at a place in Boston called The Channel, and I was a stagehand there that day. 
And a friend of mine, uh, friends of mine were on the tour. It was Metallica was in the middle. Armored Saint opened, another Q Prime act. And Wasp were the headliner. And and the oh. Wasp guys were, there was some story. Those guys were pretty legendary. Uh, and all big, you know, six foot six dudes and totally taking advantage of Metallica. Metallica were selling all the tickets. Uh, anyway, they had a drum roadie. I, w- I was drum roadie back in those days. And they had a drum roadie that went crazy in some hotel room, got drunk, destroyed the room. They had to fire him. So my friend Bob was on, was uh, was out with them. They said, well, you ought to just call. We just saw Bobby Schneider. He just finished doing, you know, drum, drum roadie on David Bowie. And that was the start. And I was Lars's drum roadie for... And then I, I sort of took over the production and started trying to, you know, teaching them not to take any shit from anybody and fighting with the Wasp guys every day because I knew Metallica were selling the tickets and eventually became their tour manager. I was there, I was there about seven years. Oh, a long you know? time. Oh, yeah. well. And, so was and, Charlie and, you know, it's, it's, a production it, manager when you were tour no, manager? No, was a tour, a tour manager. But was Charlie a production manager when you were tour manager? Who? Charlie Hernandez, because I think he was their production manager for a bit. You know, not, no. When, so when I was with them was in the very beginning. And I mean, I did everything. Yeah. And then it was, we, eventually they hired Jake. Okay. Jake so Char- I don't know. I, Charlie oh, yeah. worked with Jake and did a lot of stadiums <clears> and <throat> their partners. And yeah. love Charlie and so love Jake. Alliance. And I think. They are. That's right. And 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 Dale Opie. So right. I mean, and you know, all all oh, Dale was on the road with that Metallica tour. And I'll tell you what, man. I mean, I I never really intended to be a tour manager, and I kind of you know when I worked for them in the beginning, I did everything. I was the tour and the production manager. But I really had really wanted to be the production manager. I wanted to go in with the crew. I wanted to set it up. I mean, tour managing was was getting a little more different. You know, it was I mean, as a tour manager with a band like that, doing a lot of press, I mean, you know, five guys to look after. I mean, you know, Bob knows it's it's different than and we toured together as tour managers. Right. Um, It's different than being a production manager. And that was what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I never, I, if, if I have, you know, I mean, everybody's got regrets. I really wish I had stuck to my guns and said, look, you just hire a tour manager. But since I had already stepped in as, at that role, like they were like, well, no, you've always been the tour manager. Who, who, who would we get? And, you know, Bob was talking a little while ago about us being able to bounce back and forth and, you know, go on another, you know, on another gig. What's really interesting about that dynamic, and and I know this was about party like a rock star, so this is sort of taken <laughs> on a serious <laughs> tone. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying that you don't look at you don't look at work the same way. Like and 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 that's that's sometimes to the detriment because you know, we come in, we work for these bands. Back in the day, we were, I mean, you know, we I mean, some were friends, maybe some were like friendships on the road. And, you know, you never really knew which line to cross, you know, don't do drugs with the band. But then the band asks you to get them drugs and, you know, and then you're doing them with them. And, you know, uh, 
And it was always a weird dynamic, but none of us really ever thought of this as like a job of longevity. Like my yeah. father was a builder, right? And my mother was, a, you know, in the garment industry. She, so when you went to work for a company or you had a job, you never looked that you were going to be doing any other job, right? You never was really it? thought, okay, well, I'm, you know, I mean, you were, you know, you graduated high school, graduated college, you went and worked for a company, you know, you were groomed, you were, you, you were promoted, you know, you got, maybe you got a piece of it, a partnership, whatever. We never had any of that. I didn't even really think of it as a job. So, you know, um, and, and people now, I believe, treat it differently. I, I definitely, I just started mentoring someone. And, and I've given them that side of it. But, I mean, they're serious, you know. I mean, you can go to school for it. She's trying to make the right contact. She's networking. I mean, networking to us was calling the agent and saying, hey, who's going out in the fall? And they'd send you a list. And you'd just start dialing, you know, and find out if they were looking or you'd be word of mouth. So, you know, we have a certain uniqueness. I'm just, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, any anything more than a tour can be a long time right it's true i mean that you could you never thought you'd sign on for life until you found that one band where you knew you signed on for life and it's it's it was just it was we had a i mean we start talking like part we start talking about partying like rock stars holy shit I mean, I, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to go into withdrawal just thinking about it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> or just shaking and passing. Our famous out. friend in New York city who shall remain nameless. No problem. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we but, should tell the story about him now without disclosing man? anything. Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Which so one? Bob oh. had this friend in New York um, <clears throat> who, who was, uh, I believe, Dominican, maybe. Nicest guy in the world. In the world. In the world. And played right? professional baseball. Right. And to us, I mean, whatever whatever he would deliver to us was, I mean, it was it, it, it was like what fell on the floor for the deals he did. Seriously. But there would never be a time that I couldn't call him. And he would come and see me and he would come and hang out. Oh, God, he had the best blow ever, though. Oh, it was right off the boat. I'm getting withdrawals now. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was, I, I went, I probably went 11 years in a row with, I, I won 11 Grammys in a war in a, in a row. But unfortunately my category was not on screen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 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 the, and, and the, <clears throat> the voters were not the old people at Naris. They were all the artists. <laughs> it was, but that was a, no, it was, it was funny, but you know, we all get older. We all we all move on. We all, nobody likes to wake up dead. Um, and and you know I don't think that. Well, now there's a whole new. Wouldn't that be a great tombstone? Nobody likes to wake up dead. It'd be a great tombstone. You are recording this, so good. At least yeah, it'd be a great band We'll either make T-shirts or epitaphs, but um, or tombstones. T-shirts or tombstones. Ooh, but you know, I mean, I. Their story, there's a, that's the thing about writing a book. I don't remember half the shit until we start talking like this. And then it starts yeah. coming in like a flood. 
I was on a tour bus going from Vegas or Reno or Vegas to San Diego or Los Angeles coming across the desert and everybody was sleeping. I woke up. I probably woke up, might've woke up last uh, when I was a production manager. And uh, cause the production managers are the first one up and the last one to sleep. Um, I wake up and there's a bunch of guys sitting up in the front of the bus huddled around near, next to the bus driver. And I hear somebody go, Shh, it's Bob. Don't do it. No, no, don't, don't, don't. Come on, don't. And I, and I walk in. And I, What's up, guys? Oh, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? And uh, again, this person will remain nameless, but they had a gym bag filled with Polaroid pictures. And uh, they were, you know, notorious picture takers, these guys, this particular guy. And uh, um. I might know who that is. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I get a little closer. No, 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 no. So what's up? Well, uh, well we're, just, uh, we're just looking at pictures. No, 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 no. And they'd seen me make friends with, some, with, a, with, with a woman that we met on the road um, out in like uh, mid, mid, Middle East, mid, yeah, Midwest, like uh, Louisville or somewhere like that. So I was... And I was young. I was very young. This was in the early, late 70s. And I was, uh, I was sort of smitten by this woman. But I didn't quite, I, would, I wasn't quite seasoned at the arts of um, frivolity, rib, rib, rivalry, ribaldry, and, and, uh, and philandering. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a word. And uh, so they were worried that I would be offended. So... Let me see. Come on, guys. Let me see. So they show me one of these Polaroid pictures. And it turns out um, Alex Hall, is he still alive? The Jordy, the lighting guy from LSD. Um, it turns out it's this woman that I had taken out on two dates and starting to, you know, feel, feel weird about. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's this girl, butt naked, jumping up and down on a bed with Alex Hall, this toothless roadie from, from Newcastle or Geordie. <laughs> that, that, you could see they're bouncing naked on a bed. That's <laughs> my I'm girl. Like, That's my girl. That's my. Oh, fuck. I mean, it was talk about a deflating moment. I, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't quite know how to take it then. Yeah. And, Everybody, not everybody, nobody wanted to hurt my feelings. And it was the camaraderie. Now, here we go. Now we get mushy about it, Bob. I mean, was it actually a bag of Polaroids, though, or just one? Gym bag filled with Polaroids. Of the same woman? Oh, no, all different. They just happened oh. to come across it oh. as I was walking out of the back. Uh, out of it the would be a better story if it was this morning, a full gym the front, bag of this, the front this of starlet of yours. Oh, fuck. Perfect timing. Right. And it's like, but, you know, that guy had this gym bag filled with pictures because that guy took pictures a lot. And when he didn't have this mask on, now, you know, who it is. Um, but uh, but, you know, they were it was the camaraderie, the, the, the brotherhood, because there weren't that many women on the road back in the 70s. But yeah. the, the brother, the brotherhood actually not no. wanting to hurt my feelings. It's sort of kind of touching. In, in a weird, perverted sort of a way. 
but uh, well, not wanting to hurt your feelings, might have not been not taking the fucking picture to begin with. But well, you know, shit happens. <laughs> I would have taken a picture. Speaking <laughs> of party, like, oh yeah. Speaking of party, uh, like a rock star. Polaroid pictures too. I um uh, um. <laughs> I probably can't talk too much about it. Jeez, I hope my daughter never sees this. Or my girlfriend. Or my wife. Or your wife. Or or any. Yeah, it was what? a pretty misogynist. Uh, it was a pretty misogynist world. I, I mean, Ooh. you know, if you even if you read like, you know, the Motley Crue book. And I mean, it, it was it was like that. And I, you know, but if you think about it. I honestly, other than like one girl leaving another one behind and having to get someone to ride home, you know. From Oklahoma City to Chicago. <laughs> wherever. I mean, no, you know, usually one girl would be on the bus and the other girl wouldn't be out. I'm just, I, and I'm not really justifying how we all acted because I have a daughter and I, I wouldn't do that now. Bob has two daughters, happily married for many years. 35. But, uh, you know, that's a long, that, there you go. That's a long tour right there. And <laughs> uninterrupted, ladies and gentlemen, uninterrupted wedded bliss. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm just saying that it was, I mean, it was the way things were. I mean, you know, it, it just was, I don't know that it's right, wrong and different in the world, but you know, all, I guess my point was that I never had a parent issue I never had a police issue. You know, I mean, I can say that I, I, I had a couple of close calls and I always made sure that anything that was going on, as far as, as, far as I could control it, they, you know, were not underage. But it was a different world. What was accepted then? I read this article about, I don't know, it was Joe Perry doing some interview and uh, and they were talking about drugs. And I mean, basically, it was like, look, back in the day, if I offered you drugs and you didn't do it, you would think you wouldn't be cool. But, you know, now that they're sober, you know, being cool is sober or being sober is cool. It was fun. There's no questions. Any stories anybody listening has heard, um, they're probably true. Did anybody has anybody. And we're too Listening. old now. We're all worried about who's going to hear this. Or my daughter's going to say, "You did what?" And it's funny. <laughs> Smarter than you think. She probably. I worked. Well, I, not than you think, but she probably she knows. knows. Uh, I, listen, I worked for Cindy Lauper, and we always we always used to joke about how she would use that walker when she starts singing. Girls just want to have fun. She goes walking and walking and walking. But you know, at the end of the day, if she's singing that song when she's seventy eight years old, God bless her. Yeah. You know? Any way to get across the stage, any way to get from stage left to stage right, you do whatever you got to do, you know? But now, anybody watching this podcast, does anyone ever, has anyone ever heard the, the, the name Little Rock Connie? Maybe. Oh, sort of. yes. Yes. <laughs> I've got Speaking a of- Teddy Bone. I don't know if you guys would know him. He's an artist. He did all the Black Flag covers. So I've got a Raymond Pettibone drawing of her. <gasps> Before or after the car accident? Oh, well, it's pretty, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I guess I could, sh- I could find it and show it to you, but he's like a yeah. character, I don't know, character, but he's an illustrator. So it'd be hard to tell. But. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a, ca- that, that was a character that was, I mean, 
that was that, for that woman she's still Woodstock, going right i don't think she's dead no no she, no she's still alive she's yeah. you know she's, um, she's retired her collection <laughs> i don't know you know she's uh she's she does she did have some disciples um and, she was uh, she was training i got christmas cards for her from her for years yeah, I think I met yeah. her on Poison. I think she came to some Poison show. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, um, I uh, she was a school teacher. She was a school teacher. Wow. She was a, a tenured middle school teacher. In they fired her little, though when they when it all came out. When the, she when fought they, it, she fought it for a bunch of years, and I thought that Bob Guccione's lawyers from Penthouse Magazine were were part of her defense team. They funded it. Because that started out as, the, and it's funny, you know, the town council happened to see it in Penthouse Magazine. Go figure. Um, but uh, um, she, uh, that was where it started. Then the book came out, and, you know, I mean, but uh, she, she was quite a character. There's a lot of, <clears throat> there were a lot of, of roadies back in, the, in, in, in that era, in that generation, whose lives were changed <laughs> after yeah. they left. They're pulling out a little rock. Let me tell you. I mean, holy yeah. crap. I mean, it's just astonishing how how the how lives changed after. And uh, what Bobby was saying is, you know, there was a lot of, you know, back in the day, the Woodstock area, the free love generation, 69. I mean, Woodstock didn't end August 6th in 1969. Trust me. It kept, I mean, there's, there's a whole generation of sexual freedom and, 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 and liberation and everything else that went on through uh, yesterday. But, um, but, you know, those people, you know, guys on the road who came out of Little Rock and had an experience that they'd never anticipated, never thought they were going to ever, that a beautiful girl was going to seduce them. It yeah. sure made, it sure made, um, um, on many many of them made a lasting impression either some like again bobby would say some to the benefit some to the detriment you know so mm-hmm. it might have made deviance out of some and who knows what out of others do most people come on here and and talk about dirt or do most people end up talking about the life I think a bit more of the life, I think. I don't know. I, I mean, I've been bringing on so many people now. It's just all over the place is the real truth. Some of them like bringing up other roadies' names a lot so that they're like, hey, you brought me up, Bob. <clears throat> but I think a lot of them just like, you know, we have our we have our stories to tell at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then we have our stories where you're drunk at your, you know, your meeting or whatever. You're like, listen to this shit. You know, remember Davy Kirkwood? Oh, my God. And then you go into some story about some drunk fucking scotsman (laughs) you know so it's been all over but i think it makes it more fun that it is all over the place so i i have i mean i don't know where the generations um what the generations tend to do i mean i'm I'm, i have definitely a I have a little bit of a reluctance to name names and to use the specific names. You don't um, need to. It doesn't matter. I mean, for the most part, it's just the fun story of it all. I've had a couple where I'll take them out. I don't even care. I don't think it's important. I think it's more just this fun story. It doesn't matter who it is. I'll say hair. Like I said, like I said earlier, before we went on air, I said, I'm not going to mention the initial names, but his initials are Brett Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> Brett was such a sweetheart when I toured. With he really him. He was, was such a nice guy to me. Uh, 
he and then yeah you want to talk about ladies wanting to meet a guy it was insane it was just talk about lined up in the hallway tom jones it was just it was epic it was it was it was olympic yeah i hung out a lot with ricky we'd go to the bars and stuff and we had a lot of fun oh hey bobby can, can i tell you a story that has uh, uh, scotty ross who's also a tour manager and a road yeah, manager yeah. and, a, and, a, and, a, and a great blind mechanic can take a car apart with his eyes closed and is now officially the tour manager for the Doobie Brothers on their 50th anniversary tour. Cool. Um, Scotty Ross and I go into, uh, into Amsterdam with Van Halen and we're going to play a couple of festivals and Ed, Ed, Edward, Van, Edward Wolfgang Van Halen and Edward Alex and, and Alex Alexander Arthur Van Halen, the two Dutch brothers who were born in Holland, <clears throat> grew up in Holland, moved to America and spoke Dutch, or and Alex still does, every day of their lives. So these were not just guys like these were not just guys who moved from Holland and became Valley Girls. They spoke Dutch every day and they still spoke Dutch to the day Ed died. He spoke Dutch in the hospital. We go, we check into the hotel in Amsterdam, get everybody put, put to bed. Everybody's down, relaxed. We're going out for a drink. Ed calls and says, hey, what are you guys doing? You want to go out for beer? Okay, we'll go out for beer. So Scotty Ross and Bob Bates and Ed Van Halen go out for beer in Amsterdam. I, it's pretty amazing that we're talking about this casually, but he is, it's like going out. It's like taking Lars out for beer in, in Copenhagen. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not going to necessarily get recognized, but you're doing it. So we go to a bar, a nice neighborhood dive, crowded bar, smoky because everybody in, I think smoking is the national sport of the Netherlands. <laughs> and Scotty and I sit here and Ed sits two, two stools away because it was too crowded. And we're sitting there having our beer and we look across and the tears are running down Ed's face. He's not sobbing, but he's crying. Mm. And we go, should we go over there? What's up? Uh, you know, it's a little bit. Is it going to be weird or what? So we give him a couple more minutes and he's still crying. So Scotty and I get up off our stools, walk over either side of Ed and we, you know, lean over. We don't support, we don't, we don't startle him, but we lean over and Ed and Valerie, and if Valerie's listening or Wolfie's listening, you know, um, I'll try and finish this story without crying. But Ed, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, guys. Come on, Ed. What's, you know, it's Bob and, Bob and Scotty. What's up? You ready? I smelled my father's tobacco. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And and there and the and and that's not easy for Ed Van Halen who smoked three and a half packs of cigarettes a day to smell somebody else's tobacco. Yeah. Okay. I smelled my dad's tobacco, and he just sat there and cried in his beer. And that's those are one of the moments where you know two blocks away there was fifty whores we could have gone to, <laughs> and <laughs> so we missed that night in Amsterdam. Did either and one of your guys' fathers smoke a pipe? My dad smoked Brinley's mixture for 50 years. I mean, no. I totally get it. That smell is, is part of, my father was a car mechanic. So when I go into a, a car, uh, a machine shop or something, I take a big whiff because I, 
it, it's a reminder. Oh, oh no, there it is. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. story, man. I, I, you know, it's because I can visualize it. Uh, you got this monument, this, this, this mammoth. I mean, he taught me. You've got this mammoth in a bar who's, mammoth. Uh, who's feeling like this little, this little kid. You know, it's just it's. I don't even so know. Simple I at heart. Yeah, I don't even know if Wolfie would have ever seen that because he wouldn't have necessarily been there. And then when Wolfie and Ed toured together, there it was. It was not an easy environment for Ed, and wasn't an easy environment for Wolfie. And there was yeah. a lot of a lot of recovery and and accus accusations and more recovery. So I don't think that he, Wolfie might have ever had that intimate moment. But Ed, I mean, when, this is not going to be an Ed Van Halen hour, but I'll tell you something: Eddie Van Halen taught me how to cry. Yeah. So if there's, a, if there's a roadie out there that idolizes Eddie Van Halen, remember this. Probably one of the most sensitive, incredibly warm human beings that ever, ever lived. And, um, you know, this last 16 months, I, I, I'm grateful and, then I'm, and then, I'm, then I'm angry that he taught me how to cry because I couldn't believe <clears throat> how many times a day over the last 16 months that I found myself crying over over happy or sad, good or bad, or you asshole, you nice person, you name it. But if Ed wouldn't have taught, given help, get me back the emotion that I had, I would. I don't think I would have been as emotional as I was. But I, you know, man, oh man, good old Ed. I think it's a good on you, thing. Bob. Yeah, it's a good thing, Bob. It is for sure. You know, you. Now I let's talk about to a point. Well, I think you get to a point in your life where uh, it's okay. Let them look at me. I don't give a shit. You know, but but that's a big deal when you're a dude. No, it's amazing. I mean, that just uh, just as I mean, just amazing. My my uh, my uh, my uh, my uh, youngest daughter, my oldest daughter, who's named who's you know the 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 guys in the band know her. They're they, if if Jews could have Godfathers, they'd be them. She go, you know, I mean, she'd like. How do you? I mean, how, Dad, did you see Ed? Ed just kissed his brother on the lips. And I'd go, of course, they're brothers, you know? And then like the next night, I would be back in the hotel. My daughter would be on the and she'd say, dad, Edward kissed you on the lips too. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, hon, we're sort of brothers too. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's, it's also, you know, it's also European family upbringing, I think so. I, I think it. I think the big the big word is appreciation, and sometimes you need reminders to appreciate. And a break will do it for you. You know, grabbing at those purse strings. And so, I mean, this used to be this used to be my whole life. Like, I I there were there were times that I went from tour to tour to tour. I mean, I wasn't home for like three years, and I loved every gypsy fucking minute of it. Yeah. And honestly, I don't I don't know that I would change much, except that if I had anything to learn now that I didn't know, you're right, it's appreciation. Because I mean, I was with Metallica seven years, right? I mean, they're they're about to be 40 years on the road. And there's a couple of people that are still around from when I was there. Tony so, said. Should I have thought about it a little differently, thinking, okay, I'm gonna treat this like a job because 40 years from now, I could still be working. Everything was disposable, right? And, uh, but your family's not disposable. Your, your children are not disposable. Sure. You know, 
that's condoms that's are disposable. <laughs> we, we that is a plan. Yes, that they should they should remain that way too. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. Shout out to Bobby. I mean, when you say Sophie to him, um, the two things come to mind: Sophia Loren, who he calls Sophie, and Sophie, his daughter, who's the who is the light of his life. I mean, and and you know he this last last year he's been doing he's been feeding people hmm. in kitchens and and food banks and things like that shout out to bobby schneider for doing that yeah shout out sure, man you know there's a 21st century production manager named zito jason zito in nashville tennessee yeah we're trying to and, get him on i've had like three people request this guy he's well, a green you tell day him guy. i got pictures of him and two dogs in albuquerque New Mexico, with the cinnamon buns with the cinnamon buns and those dogs are going to start telling the story if he doesn't get on the phone but no, yeah, no it's, it's funny. Everybody keeps requesting. I don't know him, but his Listen, picture on his page is like him and Charlie oh and all these. What other a character! Guys. And the fact is, shout out to Bobby, shout out to Zito, shout out to Adrian Biondo, and everybody who's done their things. Zito has made over thirty thousand dollars worth of donations to Music Cares. That's amazing. Based on based on selling cinnamon buns. Good for him. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, that's cool. And then Bobby's got Bobby's got tents and food and people coming to, to, to listen. The good news, like in fact, you talk about Charlie Hernandez. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Let me know when about there Charlie. Was a, so that's when like there, bad to when me. there when there was an earthquake in Haiti, and Charlie organized a bunch of roadies who became just a bunch of roadies and filled a freighter airline and got his chartered charter broker to donate a, a, a freighter and got container companies to donate containers and trucking companies to bring the containers to the airline and people to go on an airplane and land in Port-au-Prince, Haiti and unload planes and take them to churches and hospitals before the government even knew they were there to corrupt, to corruptly steal it. Their shout outs to go on. Party was like it Rocket Rockstar. Cargo who got it there? Or who are David Bernstein. Rocket I mean, Cargo. And, David. And, and, yeah, all these guys, you know, this is great stuff, man. This is. I mean, the party like a rock star doesn't have to be about chasing booty. It can be about party <laughs> like a rock star celebrating what and who we have been, what we yeah. are, and what we will become. I don't mean to change the. I don't mean to change the format of. It's not changing. Body. We all have walkers but, now. We're not chasing much of anything, Bob. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I got two pick lines and a breather. I'm ready. Yeah. The, I don't know what to chasing. But the yeah, I is, think we we use our purposes for different. You know, Bob was talking about feeding people. Um, I'm affiliated with a, a. It's called the TPA, and it was started by Matt Darty, lovely Australian man, and Jerome Crooks. Shout out to both of those guys. And they formed this thing called the Touring Production Alliance. They have a, uh, the, uh, the, the Brits and the Euros have a thing called uh, TPG, which is Touring Production Group, trading information, working out what we're going to do about COVID. I, I recently have, uh, and I'm going to freak some people out on this. I recently have, um, at, you know, during COVID, I thought I might need to do something else for a living. And um, I thought about maybe being a life coach, you know, for all the shit I pulled myself through. And also, 
And also, you know, I mean, I, you know, as, as a production manager, you do, you know, you have a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people you look after as a tour manager, bands, like the story about, about Ed, you know, you, this is, even if you're not really true, truly friends with people you travel with, they're your family then, right? They rely that, on you. That's love the one you're with right there. That's it. They, they, you may not talk to them once the tour's over, but you're in the foxhole together. And anyway, I'm in the middle of doing a teacher training, 200-hour teacher training, to become a meditation teacher. And oh, I love it. I was like I, a diehard yoga guy for a while. And I practice yoga every day um, since the pandemic. I mean, I miss a day here and there, but I meditate every morning. And I don't know, uh, I don't know if I'll go outside of our field with what I'm doing. But I can tell you that the last two interviews I've had with jobs, like, you know, someone says, well, can you, you know, we want to schedule an interview for you to meet the, the artist. Well, are you available Saturday? And yeah, but not between 12 and two, because I have a class. Really, what are you taking a class? And I tell them, and it's, there's no like, and I don't really give a shit what they think. Honestly, if they had had an adverse reaction with them, I really wouldn't have cared. And that's the other thing about getting old. You don't have to give a shit anymore. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, there was like, oh, that's really cool. And I think there's a place for it. You know, I mean, yeah, we lived our cowboy days. We had so much fun. I can't even I can't even tell anybody that's going to miss it now what it was like to live freely. What My it was stomach like to still enjoy hurts drugs, What it was like to, to stay up for days on end, pulling crazy stunts off free love, girlfriends in every city. It was awesome. It was awesome. Everything that is true that you see in Almost Famous, one of the best rock and roll movies ever, just watched it again. It's all true. There's a yeah, but. <laughs> but I'm glad, I, I'm glad I got to where I got to now. And I love my daughter and I love my family and, uh, and I love my friends. I mean, you know, Bob and I, it's like 30 years. I mean, people, you know, I, I don't know anyone from high school. I didn't even graduate high school. Yeah. I mean, I, I said while he was talking, my stomach still hurts from laughing. He and, you know, there people like Bobby Schneider and I have laughed so hard <laughs> that there are muscles that are still scrunched up somewhere in me from laughing so hard. And you don't, yeah, I mean, you don't because he's so short, isn't it, Bobby? That's a, you just don't get us, don't get that chance. It's like, holy shit, it's 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 astonishing. So, I got a big question from you guys. And it, since we're speaking about girls, so my buddy's fifth grade daughter, she found out I was going to start a podcast and she said, Well, I want, I have a question. She had her little girlfriends over, so she was trying to be cool, I think. And her question was, Ask them, you need to ask everybody when they first, um, felt like a celebrity now bear in mind this is a fifth grader so celebrity doesn't like the party like a rock star thing you guys keep saying it doesn't necessarily mean being a celebrity it, it means feeling special feeling good what in your life is the first thing that comes to mind where you smiled ear to ear and you knew you had done something something had happened maybe you did feel like a celebrity but there was something special so it's a moment that uh makes you feel good bob you want to go first because i i got a doozy I, you got a doozy i okay. got a doozy 
Oh boy, when the first time did I ever felt? Wow, that's a tough one. Fifth grade questions are very difficult. No, no, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a great Listen, question. I've had fantastic answers. The art link letter and Tiffany Haddish get to say it now. Kids say the darndest things, Tell you, you know, um, but um, man, oh man, oh man, we're famous uh, celebrity. Wonder, I mean, I've had a few, thank God. I've had a few. I think, uh, I mean, one of the coolest things that, uh, that ever happened to me was at, um, in 1987, 1986, I was at, at Maracanã Stadium in Rio de Janeiro. Sure. And, and uh, for a HBO World Stage, and Tina broke a heel. I ran out on stage with a shoe, slid up underneath her. She put her hand down, leaned on it, changed the shoe, stood up, and she grabbed me. She said, "Take a bow." In front of 180,000 people with a broken heel in my hand. Um, that, was, that was a moment. But I think actually, and if I had to be completely honest, what happened two hours before that was probably the highlight. When I had to walk in and say hello to 750 samba dancers. <laughs> That's a lot of freaking and, my and, God. Well, no, no, wait. And I'm shaking my head and I'm going, what the fuck? And I'm laughing. And, and one of the samba dancers... And I don't speak enough Portuguese to explain myself. So this girl spoke English. Said, Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Because there's 750 Samba girls, 250 Samba guys. That's fifth. That's 1,500 tits. I can't believe how many tits there are. And they all started laughing because I just said, there's 750 topless Samba dancers. That's 1,500 tits. And they let you. No, 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 no. 1499. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, this girl just had a mastectomy. I'm like, there you go. That's rock and roll. <laughs> but uh, put her in the front, front center. Oh, she was, she was not, but uh, it was just amazing. I mean, there are times like that, you know, play, you go, I go up and play with the, the first night I played with the outlaws on stage was pretty good night. Yeah. In 1970, 1977. I play congas Great band. and high I became their green grass, high tide, high green grass and high tides. And I, and I, and I was a production manager and the first night on tour, they heard me playing congas at soundcheck. And during the show, they came off stage, come up and, and play during the show. That's not my job. That's Jimmy Patterson's job. Like, you play. And I played every night after that. And that, but that first night after, after playing green grass and high tides for about, 13 minutes and my hands were getting ready to bleed the song ended i got off stage and and they hit me with a spotlight they said hello to me i ran off stage and got ready to do a loadout bobby (laughs) what was that i want to hear hear bobby snyder i I like ricky lee well for sure oh i can tell you good ricky lee story i i love i love her music did you happen to read her um see any of the uh her book She's written a book about her life, not really about the music life, but growing up. And um, she's amazing. I've, I've never worked for an artist that was more in tune with what was going on. This, this woman can hear an attitude guitar string from a mile away. Huh. 
So a brilliant songwriter. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, she I she wrote this book and then she did these live interviews. And the one I heard, which I'm sure to be available sometime, was with Peter Coyote, who's pretty pretty uh, prolific on his own and asked some great questions and it was great but uh so anyway ricky ricky and i had a, a pretty unique relationship um i didn't sleep with her or anything like that but she really she really counted on me and and um so we um we were playing but she also had a terrible stage fright in those days what what, I, what, what, what time a, are we talking roughly early 80s or flying cowboys so this is flying, a, oh i this love this my, my one of my favorites i mean this is this i mean i get i get chills so uh it's an afternoon show and ricky by now had cleaned up like she no nothing she had a bottle of champagne and uh that's that's it and, wow um and sometimes she wouldn't even touch that so well this this was an afternoon show with some outdoor place in uh, Michigan, I think. I can't remember the gig. Anyway, so we started and it's still daylight. And she was very offended, just like you would be in a theater, like a prop, you know, like a Broadway play that, you know, there's no one walking down the aisle when you're starting the show. There's nothing more disturbing. So all we played a lot of theaters and a lot of community theaters. And I had to put her on stage and go run around and make sure the ushers didn't let anyone walk down the aisles, especially on the, you know, in the lower, because she would just stop the show and call these people out. And the ushers are all senior citizens. Anyway, we're in this outdoor venue. Um, this day, I don't know, she had more than, uh, she had more than a few glasses of champagne before the show started. And she was very nervous, right? And she gets on stage and she starts playing the first song. And some guy is, is about seven rows up off you know right on the aisle and he's talking and she just stops the song right in the middle and she says hey mister she said did you did you did you come to, to talk did you come to fucking talk or hear me play <laughs> and then he gives her lip he starts and he doesn't just sit down embarrassed and go oh right i don't know who was with that didn't pull him down but he stood up and he started talking back to her the next thing I know, the guitar is banging across the stage, right? And because it was a shed with a, you know, it breaks down and the stages are never that high. It wasn't much of a jump, no barricade. She's off the stage. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky is a big woman. I mean, she's tall, right? And, you know, you would not want to screw with her. And she is on this guy and she's like trying... And the guy's like, he, he doesn't try to hit her back or anything. She's trying to get to him. And I mean, I don't, I think she had maybe, she'd swung a couple of times, didn't connect with anything. And I was like two steps behind her. And I grabbed her around the waist and I picked her up and I walked her back down to the stage. And by the time we got there, she calmed down and she finished the show and they threw the guy out. That's great. <laughs> You ever grab oh, Jay-Z around the waist and carry him off the stage? Uh, no, no. Let's see. I, 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 Jay, Jay consummate performer, man. That, that guy was, that guy is the Frank Sinatra of hip hop. I, I, I gotta say, cool as a cucumber. Good Jay story. Similar to Bob's story. Opening, um, and very few people even know this. Even people that were there. 
Um, opening Made in America, first year, Jay's headline. So we, the this way the show started, sometimes the microphone was downstage center um, lit. Most times he took it in his hand and then, I don't know if we had to stand out there or not, but anyway, there was some confusion. And he and, and they didn't get me on the radio that the mic should be in the stand. So we, we get to the stage, we do this big majestic walk down. You can see through the back of the stage, Made in America. I'm right with him, you know, very proud moment, right? Get him on stage. I look and the stage manager has got the mic in his hand and Jay has walked right past him. And I'm like, holy, and he's doing this slow saunter out to downstate center where an empty mic stand is lit in a pool of light. <laughs> so my big bald ass sneaks in behind him. I crouch down. I followed him all the way. He knew I was there. I followed him all the way down to the, to the edge, you know, right to the mic stand. He just stuck his hand. And I mean, I was in the dark. So, and there was no light on him. And he stuck his hand back. I gave him the mic stand and he just held it up like nothing happened and I watched the video for the longest time and you can see I didn't have a black hat on you can see my head nice but my favorite right. moment of all time is uh end of David Bowie tour um this would be 84 tour was almost two years long maybe maybe yeah maybe born or 85 end of 84 it's December just before Christmas, we came home. And uh, the last two shows are in Hong Kong. And uh, for a few days prior to that, they started the band, he started having the band learn Imagine. Um, imagine. And, and Lennon had just passed, you know, I mean, the year, the year before maybe. I don't know, I have to look up the year, but it was close. I was actually also there for that. I won't tell that story. Um, and so he, he goes to play the song and he talks about that the last time he'd seen John Lennon had been in Hong Kong at the market and tried on a Beatles jacket. I mean, people are starting to cry already, right? And everybody was emotional. When it comes to the Beatles, I mean, especially, especially honestly in, in Asia, the Beatles are God there. And, and I don't even know how many people understood him, but now the band's starting to play the song, right? Everyone is starting to cry. Crew guys are starting to cry. Band guys are starting to cry. The audience is weeping. And in Asia in those days, I mean, people barely stood up in Japan. I mean, for people to stand up and clap was like out of order to the Japanese police. And we're in Hong Kong now, so it was a little more liberal. Anyway, something happened and people started coming on stage in droves, like girls running all over the stage. It was this and they just kept playing. I mean, nothing enough to stop the show. And the security were like, they didn't really know what to do because you're talking like, I don't know, call it 10,000 people. We're all in tears. Seriously, there was, was this magical, emotional moment. And although no one, I mean, you, you got to figure that how, maybe half understood English, right? But everyone understood music and everyone knew the Beatles and everyone knew what that felt like. And for, for the rest of my life, I will never, ever forget that. 
That's a beautiful story. You know, and it's true because we could tell these stupid stories and they're dumb and everything, but it's those moments, you know, for me, and, and I think it's the same for everybody. It's when you grab your first record, your CD, now it's your MP3 or whatever, and you listen to a song and go, I get to listen to this again. <laughs> it's that wonderful feeling. It's that, it's oh, that yeah. in your tummy, like you had said, it makes you feel so good. And I love, it's what I love about it. <clears throat> hey, Bobby, it. Were, you, did you, were you ever sitting around with a band when they uh, when they when they remotely won a Grammy or something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty cool uh, moment. Okay, mm-hmm. well they didn't actually win it, but oh. <laughs> Metallica is up for the for the Grammy for best heavy metal, right? And they're up against a couple other bands, one of whom was Jethro Tull. Now, no one thinks anybody but Metallica, biggest metal band in the world at this point, is going to get this Grammy, right? And I mean, they, they, we played, and, and usually it always happens that if you actually perform the song, you're getting the fucking Grammy. And they did one with all the pyro and everything. And I had to have clothes on the side of the stage for, uh, uh, you know, guys to change into because they, you know, we, we, they thought they were going out to get the award. And honestly, I was, I felt such a part of that, that of course I knew the Grammy wasn't for me, <laughs> but I was connected, right? I mean, you know, I'd been with them for already a long time. Honor and I was thieves, young like they Bobby. were. What's that? Honor among thieves, I think. Oh yeah. And, and they go, and the Grammy goes to Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Is that the I first mean, time know, that Lars hit you in the balls? <laughs> I was right, right by Lars. Were they, they're all in their suits and everything already? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where'd you guys go to dinner that night? Uh, I think we went to the Jason's. Jake's fresh seafood. <laughs> no, we went to the Jason's party. Okay. Best okay. martinis in Hollywood. Went to uh, the one, Bob. What was it where they were, uh, they didn't quite get oh, it? I had uh, Van Halen in a hotel room in like 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 Boise, Idaho, somewhere, and they won, and it was pretty cool. But it was just, you know, one of those things where it's just you can't believe you're sitting in a room with these guys. And it's, yeah. and it's what would you guys tell Wolfgang? Hmm. He's going on his first tour, big tour, and uh, he's opening up for Guns N' Roses, one of the biggest bands in history. <clears throat> and there's a lot of weight on this kid's shoulders, man. <laughs> You know, f- passing of your father so recently. What do you? I think? would tell him to breathe through his nose and lower his heart rate. Yeah, right. <laughs> One I, day at a time. I would tell him to just chill. I would tell him to right now start getting in shape because, <laughs> but the day you can't walk out on that stage and not be game ready. Um, I I would and 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 uh, I, I think a lot of what he needs to know, he already does know. That's I what I was going to say. When he was four years old and he played his first song on the piano, you knew there was something special about Wolfie. Um, and, uh, and I, and, and uh, I just, I wish there was somebody for him to kiss on the lips. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I mean, I would tell him that you, it, Ray Charles could see this one. I mean, yeah, his dad would be proud. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's easy. That's a no brainer, but I would definitely say, I don't know what I'd say. I would just, I, I'd be fucking crying like a baby. 
I've been you might at be. Him. You know what? He's gonna. I I've never really been around him at all, but I I gotta say this. I feel that I can safely say that I've been around. I've been around enough musical greatness that when and it's gonna be cliche, but when when you got it, you got it, man. That he's kid's got, got it. it. He's got it. And the whole genius, family had it. I mean, it's hereditary. You know, there's it, it's hereditary, about- but it's also the environment that that coaxes you into, you know, finding <clears throat> what's inside. My God, we're like on a spiritual journey here. Oh, okay, well, your meditation. No, it was you did an extra one. hour today. In that case, I got one for you. What do you got? So I'm dating my wife. I'm not married to her. She moved to America from Denmark to live with some asshole who she eventually ended up spending 34 and a half years married to so far. We go to, we, we go, <clears throat> we're at the Canterbury Hotel in Indianapolis. Um, Almost. We had, huh? Almost. Uh, we had dinner at St. Elmo's. Gene Dries, the Warner Brothers rep, um, came back over to the hotel with like a hundred shrimp and a gallon of the world's hottest cocktail sauce. So, and Ed and Al still drank. This is, um, I got married in 1986. So this was in 1985. So we, uh, <clears throat> we proceed to drink in the Canterbury Hotel lobby and uh, drink and drink. And the, trust me when I tell you, it wasn't in my mind to try and outdrink Eddie and Alex because there was no calculating. But we started singing and then we started singing on the bar and then we started singing more. And one of my biggest thrills was having Edward Van Halen and Alex Van Halen singing backup to me on Hang On Sloopy. Okay, <laughs> That's great. Which I, which I actually did, which I actually sang with Tina Turner in Munich, Germany with Rick Derringer with Rick Derringer singing lead. But so I knew, hang on, Sloopy. Now, so we're, we're, uh, we are corked. We are absolute. And there's this woman who just moved from Denmark, sold her house, moved to America to marry some guy and hopefully spend the rest of her life with, which she has since found out is her punishment. But <laughs> she's watching these three idiots. Now, do you remember Chris Pollan? Did you ever know Chris oh, Pollan? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the tour, I'm the road manager. Serious man. I'm the road manager. The tour manager is a six foot five ex Green Beret, did two tours in Vietnam and wouldn't, it wouldn't take a thousand dollars to make him smile. But he's sitting there, he's sitting there wondering what the fuck are these three guys doing? And then he, we finished Hang On Sloopy and before somebody, before anybody got a chance to do another song, he broke the party up and sent us all to bed. So I'm my remember I'm courting this woman who doesn't know me from Adam. <clears throat> Halfway through the middle of the night, I got up out of bed and went to the restroom. And she woke up and watched me. What she didn't tell me was that I had gotten out of my bed and walked over to the closet. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and opened the door. And I was standing in front of the closet, just pissing in the closet, completely drunk out of my mind. Just that doesn't spell out love. <laughs> <laughs> you know? she goes, 
I knew I had to marry you because somebody had to keep an eye on you. It was funny as shit. You know, you know, that's that was the beginning of the end for the shit. For the for the closets at the Canterbury Hotel. You know, you but, said before you said before we started that you knew Charlie back when he was still. Uh, when he just came from Brazil. So what yeah. was uh you know this is selfish for me but what was he like then you know was he still so powerful and scary as all fuck? <laughs> he was learning. He was learning and he and he learned well and he just did, you know I mean Bobby knows you know Jet listen Madonna, Elvis. Jake, <laughs> you know, not yeah. everybody can work with one with one name, but yeah. you know, Charlie, Charlie was a very strong person, and he knew what he was going to be doing, and he knew how much confidence he had, and he knew how funny he was. Yeah, and and uh, and and he was also a big boy. He wasn't afraid to throw his weight around. He's huge. he's also yeah. he was also the second, the second or third brown man in the business. Benny. Yeah, Benny. Benny, my, my Benny Collins, my hero, my mentor, taught me how to be humble. Um, was Benny the uh, New York? He was the uh... no Benny. The, no. You might be no Benny. Benny Collins worked for was out here. Bay Area. Are you thinking of Keith Kevin? Maybe Keith Kevin Wolf Boy. But Benny, no, Benny, out, Benny was Benny was Bay Area and, and Benny uh, worked for Journey. That was and then later the Jacksons. But Be- Benny's famous story was that he started out. He was a drum roadie, he worked for a couple other bands out here in the Bay Area. But he was a drum roadie for Journey on a couple of tours. And they just after Scotty with, with Ainsley. Right. Right. And he told me they all used they used to have like an end of tour meeting, like, you know, like, you know, it was different. People like, you know, there was maybe long, you know, the band was going to go back out, all the roadies, you know, it was a nucleus. Journey was really probably the first one to start that. And they had a meeting and they told Benny that he was going to be the production manager. And he told the story about driving back from Marin, back into San Francisco, across the Golden Gate Bridge. And the whole time saying, motherfucker, I'm going to be the first black production manager. I'm working for Journey. I'm just a black kid. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was it was groundbreaking. And there there was there were there were black guys working uh, for Parliament Funkadelic, and there were right. white guys working for Parliament Funkadelic. But when when the touring industry went to went to that next level, um, that's when people like Benny Collins were truly trailblazers. Um, And, and we had, and, and, you know, I mean, Charlie learned from those people, Jake on in Europe learned from those people and Jerry Stickles and people like that. There, there are legends who are still alive. Yeah. Who are, who are, who were the, who, who influenced and helped forge the careers of so many people to this day. So many people who are, are some some are still touring, some aren't. Uh, Chris okay. Lamb, I don't think is touring anymore. He he may or may not be, but you know, there's a guy seventy four years old. You know, uh, Roy Bickle, seventy eight years old, still going to tour. He told he is me. still going to tour. Yeah, yeah, no, but he's going to do it for free. Roy Bickle is a rigger, a high altitude rigger, who may not work. He may not walk four inch I beams eighty five or hundred feet in the air anymore. But, you know, these are guys who are 
who can oh. still have the energy. You know, I went to my 50th class reunion yeah. for high school. Yeah. And we're all the same age. And I was the youngest guy in the room. Thanks to rock and roll. That's nice. Well, I was living a little bit of life too. You know, it's not pushing that pen. No, true. Yeah. Push, true, true. I was pushing a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> we know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I appreciate it for what it's worth. Uh, you guys inadvertently or <laughs> you guys all help me make who I am. And I always appreciate it. The Charlies of the world are, you know, they're we're, we're jackasses, we're misfits or whatever that might need a little bit of, of pushing in the right direction. Uh, for, for me, it was uh, a guy named Doug Weiss and Charlie. Oh, Dougie Weiss, of course. Yeah, they, these guys were really helpful in, in, in putting me in the right direction and it's something I'll always appreciate. So, did you ever? Were you ever? Did you ever struggle to teach Dougie how to spell his name the right way? <laughs> it's a tough one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I'm Doug. Gonna... I, I would. I, I think Doug was like in the beginning. Oh God, he was just infuriated because I was just. I wasn't like silver spoon in the mouth. I didn't know shit. You know, I'm the tour carpenter. I've never swung a hammer. So he was just like, I mean, who the fuck hired this guy? But I had a heart, man. I had a heart. And so I know every now and then it'd just be like, I don't like, I just can't believe it. So Doug. Well, you uh, know, there's generation by generation. There are wonderful success stories. And because the, the touring industry is yeah. so insular that there's this, that we know those stories by generation. The newest generation success story is Jersey Joe Scar Scar uh, Scars, Scars uh, who came to Tourlink and got up in front of uh, 300 people and said, my name's Jersey Joe. I want to go on the road. What do I need to do? And Jake Berry said, come to dinner with me. And, and wow, he, that's and, a nice and, dinner. Now, and now he's, oh, he went to the, he went to the upstaging dinner with Robert and, 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 and Robert Carone and all those guys. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, Mark Spring and all those guys and went to dinner, kept his mouth shut, but got invited. And now he's a production manager, he's a production assistant. Now he's run, but he survived. He quit his job, quit, gave up school, came, went west. And oh, yeah, Jersey Joe. Me and, and me and Jim Digby, uh, co parents oh, Jersey too. Joe for, for the first few years. So I, I will. I will say credit where credit is due that Digby and Digby really instilled some great things in Joe. And I think I did too. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with him to this day. And, and I'll tell you what, man, you got to give people a chance. I just, I just started being a mentor on top of all my other philanthropic activities. Um, and it's a real commitment. It's through a company called well done. And uh, they've been around for about 10 years. And they actually match your, you know, what somebody else said do to what you do. Um, and uh, this, uh, this young woman, uh, Divya, is uh, just graduated from Florida State. And like we've had two meetings and it's very exciting. And I, you know, I think I've brought a lot of people along, but never in a committed kind of thing to where you know, you're, you're accountable to well done because they've chosen you and they've trusted you and you're accountable to this person. And, uh, I mean, you know, how things change. I mean, yeah. you know, mentoring back in the day, like for you was Dougie and Charlie yelling at you, hurry the fuck up. 
what the fuck did you do this? Yeah, right, right. Oh, I was so <laughs> bad. I was so green. I mean, they would just, you want to talk about laughing. I mean, God, oh, my, they on the bus and they'd be just you, laughing. They must have really? some fun with you. <laughs> oh, oh, my Charlie, her God. Name is oh, he taught me how to roll a joint with one hand. Thank you very much. You know, I mean, <laughs> Charlie did. So yeah. did you ever lose your pass around Charlie? So I got, uh, we, we were, Charlie had been like two people, three people, I know, small crew. We were flying to the next gig just to get it ready. And I left, I left my wallet and everything on the bus. So we're in the airport and we've got to get to uh, the next gig. I don't have any. Hi, Angie. All I have is my red hot chili peppers tour laminate. And uh, I go up to the desk, you know, <laughs> I show it to him because it's all I have. And it's these two, I remember it's these two big black guys. And on the back of the tour laminate is me in an Afro wig. <laughs> so, but it does say Joel Miller, you know? And and the guys just kind of look at each other. I'm like, I'm, I'm not fucking with you. I, I really do. I do need to get on the plane. And so they call over their boss and the boss just kind of looks at me and he's, he's another black guy. And I mean, we're talking big Afro wig. And he just kind of, he hands me the plane ticket and doesn't say anything. So I'm sitting down and the roadies are just, I mean, crying with laughter. And Charlie's like, everybody shut the fuck up and you shut the fuck up right now. And so everybody shuts up, you know, we're all afraid of Charlie. And so then we, 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 uh, we get on the, we get on the plane and then he, he just kind of looks over. He goes, this fucking kid's going to pull this shit off. <laughs> I mean, everybody could laugh. And I mean, everyone just, the, the whole plane erupted. And I don't know. They let me on the plane, but can you imagine that they let me on the plane with a torn laminate with me with yeah, an but, Afro wig? But they. But the thing is, is you were flying to Nairobi, and they wouldn't let you off the plane. You know what was even funnier? I had my Leatherman on me, and I hadn't checked it in. And I think, I think you. I think you've done better than most roadies. So you probably, <laughs> made, the, you probably made the right. I've decision. done. I've done well, but but why was because it, it's that. It's that getting smacked in the head a little bit here and there, you know. It, it's well, that it's that direction, you know. From the guy, I don't know. We didn't talk about Rigor Dan, but you might have toured with him, Metallica. I don't know. You know, it's these guys and the stuff that I reminisce on. But everybody needs direction, and I got very, very good direction from guys like Charlie. Charlie was a very good mentor. Sure. There is one thing I'd like to say to which I hope, which definitely can't make the cutting room floor. Um, I'll just be serious for a moment. We've joked around a lot. We talked about how we transitioned. I'll say this in front of everyone about Charlie, that if Charlie hadn't gone down the path he'd gone down, I'm not sure that, that I would have recognized what, how much help I wanted to give out. And for a long time, I tried to find my niche, and I think I found it now. And there's a lot of talk about health and wellness and, you know, stability and um, inclusion and non-duality and all the things that we have really abused, you know, in, especially in our industry on the touring side. And I'm part of a collective that doesn't have a name, doesn't have a boss, where we're trying very hard to collect all the factions that are, are helping people with professional help. We're not therapists, but to try to gather all these factions in to uh, to work united and for people to actually do something and not just talk about it. And the first part is that, and I'm going to ask all your listeners, um, I'll send it to you. And I don't know if you have a post or however you want to do it. We can put a graphic in. 
We're going to ask everybody that we know to do a very simple PSA. We don't want to know their name. We don't want to know who they work for. You know, it's it's and it can it can even be just a voice recording if they want. We want people to say, "I stand for the health and wellness of my industry," and we want this to go viral. We want everyone to have, a, you know, a dog in the hunt here. Everyone to have have some say in how we navigate what's going to happen next. And because it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's going to be different out there. You know, tours are going back out. People are out of shape. People are used to being home with their families, not being away. And, uh, you know, I want to go on and say that anybody I work for, you got my full attention my, that I work with. My door is always open. I'm always happy to hear a problem. And we all need to adopt that. Uh, and let's have some fucking fun. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing what you're saying, but more importantly, what you're doing. And I, I you know, my hat's off to you. Well, I, I think you run a, a, a damn fine organization here, Joel. And <laughs> you, you really, you've been very relaxed and made it and made it quite enjoyable to talk. And good. I had a great time and I'm, Good. I'm happy to come if you want to do a serious one, if you're ever interested in doing, you know, anything about health and awareness or anything like that, need help getting a hold of anyone. I'm happy to help. Good. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. All right. All right, fellas, I'm gone. Have Bye, a Bobby. wonderful Bye. evening. Bobby. Uh, Bob Dates, love you forever. Say hi Thank to you. Inga and the girls. I'll talk to you later. I will. And I'll All say right, hi buddy. to Sophie for you. Oh, please. Cheers. All right. Be good. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.